the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm not usually up here when I serve on Sabbath mornings. I'm usually down here singing. Um, this is very different. Um, actually, I get nervous when I sing, and I have this little trick that I close my eyes, and I think it's, a, um, and everybody disappears, and when I feel better, I can open my eyes again. I don't think it's going to work while I speak here, especially because I can't see my notes. So just if we make eye contacts, just smile sympathetically, and we can keep going. Today, we conclude our three-week mini-series unholy history, wherein we have been exploring the Old Testament prophets and how their messages do not only apply to the people living in their town, in their time, but they apply to us as well. Two Sabbaths ago, we heard Craig Hadley speak on the prophet Amos and how Amos pushes us forward towards justice and equality. Last week, Nick Zork taught on one of my favorite passages from the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And today, we explore the book of the prophet Habakkuk. It's everybody's favorite book, right? Actually, have you read it? That's okay. Um, I don't think a lot of people have. Um, actually, if you're following along in your Bibles today, do not feel embarrassed if you have to go to the front of the Bible at the index um, because it's really easy to miss. It's in the back of the Old Testament, and it's really, really short. It's only three short chapters and 56 verses. Since I'm being honest today, I might as well tell you that when I was invited to speak for this series, I chose the book of Habakkuk because of its short length. I thought, this is going to be easy, 56 verses, boom, sermon, done. Little did I know that it would contain some of the most difficult passages in the Bible. Listen to how the book of Habakkuk starts off, and I'm reading from chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And Habakkuk says, Lord, how long must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. The law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked mix in with the righteous so that justice is perverted. Mercy. That's just the first four verses. So with absolutely no context, this is what we get. Some guy just really angry at God and complaining. I'll give you a little bit of context. Habakkuk was a man who lived in the kingdom of Judah during a very difficult time, kind of like our time. And like us, he was surrounded by violence and injustice, and he was one of the few remaining people who was faithful to God. And so when he saw the violence and injustice, he went to the Lord, and this is what he prayed. But just think about it, Habakkuk is talking to God. Can you imagine talking to God that way? I used to live in the South for about two years um, before I moved back to New York, and I picked up a lot of their vernacular. But my absolute favorite was from my very Southern supervisor. Um, whenever she was, shock, was shocked, she would put her hand to her chest and she would say, girl, that just makes me want to clutch my pearls. <laughs> but isn't that the truth? Don't you want to kind of clutch your pearls when you hear that? Can you imagine talking to God this way? 
When I read it, I imagine that Habakkuk is saying this and he's pointing his finger up to heaven and wishing to point it into God's face when he says, why God, why won't you listen? Why won't you save us? Why won't you do something? Everything has fallen apart. The theologian Eugene Peterson says in his famous paraphrase, justice is a joke. Justice is a joke, but nobody is laughing. Can you imagine Habakkuk saying these things to God? Can you imagine what he's feeling, how much fear, anger, and disappointment he feels? I suspect you can imagine. I suspect that maybe with a little bit less or a little bit more intensity, you've said something similar to God. I know I have. All this week, I've been taking notes of the front page of news websites like CNN or Fox News, and here are a few words that I keep seeing over and over again. Devastation, destroyed, racist, assault, shooting, execute, disease, storm, earthquake, attack. But it's not like this is new, right? Like we've been seeing this for years, week after week and day after day. There's pain and there's devastation in the world and it just doesn't stop. So we do what we can, right? We go to the polls and we vote. We donate to GoFundMe accounts. We go to marches and to rallies and we share articles on Facebook and we go on Twitter and we hashtag say his name and hashtag pray for Paris and for London. And this week we hashtag prayed for Mexico and for Puerto Rico and it all becomes too much. We are afraid. And we are exhausted. Fear is exhausting. Except that fear is so much more than exhausting. It's damaging. The American Psychological Association released a report on chronic stress and fear saying that it can be physically and psychologically debilitating and can result in a number of serious health conditions. But we already know that, right? We live it. I think that one of the hardest parts about seeing constant images of violence and injustice is that it just seems so ubiquitous and, un and unending. And if it's ubiquitous and unending, that means that at some point, I'm going to be next. Prior to moving back to New York last year, I worked at a university counseling center down south, and I was providing mental health counseling to college students. And the school where I worked at was majority African-American students. And a week after starting my job, Michael Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri. So for the next two years, as this same story repeated itself over and over again across the country, I sat in a therapy room across from young black men and young black women and who were terrified that they were going to be next. And so when Habakkuk says, oh, Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not listen or cry to you for violence and you will not save, I get it. Don't you? And God answers Habakkuk, and it's, it's not the answer that Habakkuk is looking for. For the next chapter and a half, God and Habakkuk go with this back and forth with Habakkuk asking, why, God, why? And God says this in a nutshell. He says, I'm sorry, Habakkuk, but before things get better, they're actually going to get much worse. Ouch. Habakkuk can't believe it, so he continues to press and he continues to complain and he continues to ask why, and you can just sense the pain and the disappointment. But in, when in, verse, in verses 12 to 13 of chapter 1, Habakkuk says this, he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? 
My God, my Holy One, you will not die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute justice. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Then why, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more, more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk has gone beyond just asking why. He's saying, but aren't you God? If you really are who you say you are, then why? Why? And then God says this. God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down so that you don't forget it. And I want you to write this down so that while you're waiting and you are weary, you can read it and you can find hope. I want you to write this down so that one day when it all comes to pass, you can look back and you can see that I really am who I say I am. And in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, God says this. God says, Habakkuk, I'm not going to let this stand. Injustice will not stand. And then God goes on to specifically call out and condemn those who make themselves richer on the backs of others, those who benefit from economic disparity so much so that they seek to ruin the poor in order to become richer. He condemns those who engage in violence and bloodshed. He condemns those who commit sexual assault. And he condemns those who make God in their own image. God makes it very clear that he will not let injustice win. And there will come a day when justice will come and make all things right. Amen? But wait a minute. That's beautiful, but it still doesn't answer Habakkuk's question. Why? And in the book, you can sense the tension and you can almost sense that Habakkuk is going to open his mouth to complain again. And then God says this. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, God says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And as if those words were a fulcrum, everything pivots. And something changed in Habakkuk. He goes from complaint after complaint to why, 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 and then he starts to praise. Habakkuk chapter 3, it's all praise. The praising Habakkuk in chapter 3 is a complete 180 from the fearful, disappointed, and frustrated Habakkuk in chapters 1 and 2. In fact, some biblical scholars wonder if Habakkuk actually wrote chapter 3 at all. Because it's not just the content and the tone that are different, but chapter 3 is a completely different stru structure. Chapter 3 is not like the other chapters of the book of Habakkuk, because chapter 3 is a psalm. Habakkuk was singing. So Habakkuk heard God's reply and he started to sing. That doesn't make any sense. So maybe those scholars were right. Someone came along and saw these two really difficult passages of Habakkuk, and they were like, let's write a nice little song, and it'll tie it all up and make it look pretty. Maybe. Or maybe Habakkuk heard something that we didn't hear. So let's go back to when God speaks in chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In this verse, the Hebrew word for silent is hasah. It's actually not even a word, it's onomatopoeia, which represents the sound that someone makes when forcefully telling someone to stop talking. So a more accurate way of saying God's words is, the Lord is in his holy temple. Shh. 
Have you ever been shushed before? How did you feel? I'm really asking, how did you feel? Yeah, right? <laughs> they didn't feel good. Actually, being shushed was how I first got into my first physical altercation. It's the only physical altercation. <laughs> um, I was just a kid, and um, there was a tree behind the apartment building that I lived in, and I had a best neighborhood friend named Felicia. And we were all, all the kids in the neighborhood were hanging out under that tree, and Felicia shushed me. Now, I must have been watching something on TV that I shouldn't have been, because I replied to her and I said, Felicia, if you want me to shut up, you're going to have to fight me. And Felicia fought me. <laughs> and she beat the mess out of me. <laughs> Actually, I saw Felicia again. I, sh I shouldn't say this, but I will. <laughs> I saw Felicia again like years later, and we were both adults, and she was working at a store. And I recognized her immediately. And I don't know if she recognized me because we didn't say anything, but um, she, she really helped me. She was really nice to me. And on the outside, I was like smiling and saying thank you. But on the inside, I was like, shush me again, Felicia. Go ahead, shush me again. <laughs> I guess, I guess I, either I could take her, I didn't learn anything, but <laughs> we don't like to be shushed. And it certainly doesn't, like, it doesn't make us want to sing, does it? But there was something about hearing hasa or shh from God that changed everything for Habakkuk. But why? To answer this question, we may have to look back on Habakkuk's own unholy history. You see, 200 years before the time of Habakkuk, there lived a king named Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was king of Judah from where Habakkuk was at a time when God's people had split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And in its 208-year history, the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah had 38 kings. And the Bible describes all of those kings. And it gives them one of two descriptions. Either he did evil in the sight of the Lord or he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Of the 38 kings, 33 were considered to have done evil in the sight of the Lord, except for only five. Five did right in the sight of the Lord, and Jehoshaphat was one of them. So for Habakkuk, a man who was living in the kingdom of Judah and was one of the few that was faithful to God, Habakkuk must have known Jehoshaphat's story well. Let me briefly tell you about Jehoshaphat and see if you can spot anything familiar. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat was king, a messenger came to him and told him that a large army, they called it a great multitude, was coming to destroy him and all of Judah. And they were going to get there real soon. The Bible said that Jehoshaphat was afraid, so he called the entire kingdom of Judah before God to pray. And in verse 6, he begins his prayer, and this is what he said. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule all over the kingdoms of the nations. The power and might is in your hand, and no one can withstand you. And he continues in verse 12. He says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Does that sound familiar? Like Habakkuk, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he said to God, if you really are who you say you are, please do something. And God answers. 
while everyone was wailing and weeping and crying out to God, in the middle of all that noise, the Spirit of God comes upon a prophet named Jehaziel. And he says this. He says, shh. He says, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to God. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground and he and all of Judah began to sing and worship God. And they didn't just sing. Verse 19 says that they did so with a very loud voice. The next morning as the opposing army was approaching, Jehoshaphat prepared his army too. But look at what he did in verse 21. Jehoshaphat, after consulting the people, he appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor of his holiness. And he put, them, he put the musicians at the front of the army and they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That day with the musicians in the front and by the grace of God, the enemy of Judah, this indestructible multitude, was defeated. So do you see a pattern here? Where there is injustice and violence, there is fear. And where there is fear, there is noise. But in the midst of all, those, all that noise, God says, shh. And then there is music. In fact, every time the word hasa is used in the Bible, there is music and singing. It's not just in Habakkuk, but in other instances too. My personal favorite is right in the middle of a song. It's Psalm 46, and it says, shh, and know that I am God. So does it make sense now why Habakkuk sang after being shushed by God? Habakkuk didn't care about the why anymore, because the more important question here was who and the answer to who is a God who is exactly who he says he is. Habakkuk sang because he knew that God's call to silence was not a call to passivity. It's a call to action and an invitation to participate in his plan. God is not an idol who is spoken to and remains silent. No, it's the other way around. God speaks and we listen. God speaks and the whole earth listens. And God calls and we move. There is no ambiguity when it comes to God's stance on injustice. This is his battle. And from this side of the cross, we have certainty that he has already won it. And our greatest worship song is to be his hands and feet that fight injustice in our communities and in our world. In other words, when we are silent before God and when we really listen, he gives us a song. So listen to Habakkuk's song. Keeping in mind that like Jehoshaphat, he probably sang it in a very loud voice. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19 says this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle on the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. So church family, this is my prayer today. When the wise get overwhelming, may you be silent before your God. Shh. And in that silence, may you find your song.
and may you worship with a very loud voice. Amen.